0: Well, good morning. Good to have you here on this holiday weekend. I know some of you students here are rejoicing because you are done with school. Some of you are not rejoicing because you have exams this coming week. Um, I was thinking back to my school days, my college days this week as I was preparing this message. And I was thinking back to uh, my English class that I took. I think it was my senior year. I took a, a Shakespeare class where we read every single one of Shakespeare's plays in that class. And he wrote a lot of them. It got to be a long semester with Shakespeare. Um, but one of the favorites is probably one of the most popular ones that he wrote was, was Hamlet. Right? And if, if you've seen Hamlet or if you've read Hamlet, you know it's not one of Shakespeare's most cheery plays, right? When two gravediggers are your most famous characters, that's a bad sign for how cheery the play is going to be right? In this, in this play, every character, good, bad, or otherwise, anybody who's anybody, at the end, spoiler alert, ends up dead, okay? Including Hamlet. Hey, Hamlet's life is really hard, right? It's a, it's a play about vengeance and murder and disappointment, and, and at one point in his life, when everything is going so horrible, Hamlet reaches the point where he asks the question that my guess is the one Shakespeare line that almost everybody can quote, right? Hamlet comes down and he says, to be or not to be? That's the question. He's wondering if life is really even worth living anymore. What's the purpose of my life? What's my reason for waking up every morning in in this world that's full of disappointment and heartbreak? And Hamlet comes to the conclusion that that he will be, that he will continue to live. He comes to that conclusion because he's scared that death might actually be worse than life. And so he says, I'll stick around. I'll keep living as long as I can. I think that either consciously or unconsciously, all of us ask that very same question one way or another, especially as we enter into the final years of our lives. As we This morning, as we wrap up our our Life Stages series, four weeks, we've been looking at different stages of life, started at the very young. Today, we look at the final stage, right? Those those retirement years and beyond to the end of life. And, And those years bring some of the same wonderings for us, right? What's the purpose of my life now? What's my reason for waking up every morning now? Right, and sometimes those questions arise for some of us here out of disappointment, out of the pain that fills this season. Others of us, those questions arise out of, out of great blessing. Right, we've, we've been blessed so richly that all the demands and responsibilities of life are gone. And so why am I here? And so the same questions need to be answered in this life stage What is my purpose? What is my reason for being? Why am I waking up every morning? And too many of us don't have good answers for those questions when we reach this life stage. Too many of us feel like we lack real purpose and meaning. And sometimes we hit the point where we just wonder why God doesn't gently take us home. Because we're done. Some of us believe that all of our productive moments are behind us and our usefulness is over. Others of us, I think, have chosen not to be useful. As we step into this final life stage, as we step into the retirement season of life, we choose to step out of all the places where we can make an impact. We choose to step out of the situations where maybe we can influence another person around us. So we retire from all of life. Well, in the Bible, we we get to see two very godly individuals who process this life stage for themselves and for us. And we get to benefit from their processing of this life stage this morning. The first person I want us to look at is the Apostle Paul. Paul really is the biblical Hamlet. who who wrestled with his purpose for life and his purpose for being through all his difficulty and pain. Start with me turning to Philippians chapter 1 in the New Testament, page 951. Philippians chapter 1. Let me give you the, the context here of where Paul is writing this letter from before we read what he has to say. He's writing this letter to the people in Philippi, and he's writing from prison in Rome. So Paul, he's an older man now, and he's been in jail for two years, held by the Romans. And and he realizes that odds are really, really good that he will never see the light of day. That he will never be free from prison. Chances are good that he's going to be executed any day. And while he waits, sitting there in his prison cell, he's wrestling with what he calls his thorn in the flesh, Right? We, he's got some physical ailment, right? We, we don't know exactly what that is. Some people think maybe he suffered from severe migraine headaches. Some people thought he had malaria and the fever kept returning. A lot of people believe that he was going blind and maybe was totally blind by this point. Whatever it was, he had this inability, this disability that either, either greatly disappointed him or greatly harmed him. And so he... He's in pain, and he's in prison, and it drove him to debate the value of his life. Begin in the middle of verse 18 with me of Philippians chapter 1. He writes, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And listen to this question. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convicted of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. There's Paul asking to be or not to be. That's the question he's wrestling with. And like Hamlet, he chooses life. Paul knows that the choice is not his to make. That the decision is in God's hand. And in verse 25, he comes to the conclusion that yes, he will remain, but he chooses life for a very different reason than Hamlet does. Hamlet chose life because he was scared of what death was gonna bring. Not Paul, he's not scared of death. He looks forward to being with Jesus. Instead, Paul chooses life because he's confident that God still has a purpose for him. God still has a plan designed for him. And as long as he has breath, He has a task to accomplish from God. He felt like quitting. He simply wanted to retire. That's what Paul desired, retirement. He was ready to be done, but he couldn't stop because God still wanted to use him. So in verse 21, he recognizes that if he's going to continue to live, this will mean fruitful labor for me, he says. he recognizes that he can't retire. He can't imagine ever retiring from the work and the opportunities that God sets before him. To breathe is to serve God. To live is to have a kingdom purpose for him. Remember, Paul's the one who wrote earlier in his book to the Ephesians... He said, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, every single human being has a purpose and a plan designed by God just for them. There is not a single useless life in all creation. we, We may not be living out the purpose God has given us. Maybe we don't recognize it. Maybe we're rebelling against it. Maybe we're just choosing not to do it because we're busy doing other things other than what God asks us to do. But that doesn't mean our purpose isn't still there. It is. God has a life for you to influence, an opportunity for you to serve, a word of encouragement or a word of wisdom for you to speak. A story for you to tell. A young person for you to mentor. Faithfulness for you to model to the people all around you. Those purposes never end. Paul proves this so well. So in verse 25, he is convicted. That's the word he uses, convicted. He's convicted by that truth. And so he commits himself, sitting in prison, suffering in the body. He says, I'm going to keep doing the work God calls me to do. As long as I have breath to breathe, I am going to do it for your progress, for your joy in the faith. He's living for them. He's living for their faith journey. And as long as he has air to breathe, he's going to breathe it for God, for God's kingdom purposes. And that's exactly what he does. We get to listen in later on as he writes one of his final letters to his mentee, Timothy. Paul, at the very, very end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearance. He finishes strong for the Lord right to the very end. And man, I sure hope that those are words that I can joyfully and boldly declare at the end of my life. I hope I can say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. I hope there are words that you can speak, that you can boldly declare. Not, yeah, I've coasted to the finish line, but I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. Because God has a kingdom purpose for you to the very end, especially at the end. So Paul's message for all of us to hear this morning, but especially for those of us in our last stage of life, is every single one of us has a task to accomplish, be faithful, and carry it out to the very end. Okay? But long before the Apostle Paul, our New Testament hero, gave us this message, Israel's Old Testament hero, Moses, spoke into this life stage very powerfully as well. His message to us is that besides having this task to accomplish, which Paul tells us, all of us also have stories to remember and to tell. Take out your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, page 143, right towards the beginning of the Bible. In the, in the book of Deuteronomy, we get, to, we get to meet Moses in his final years. He lives to be 120 So I think he's probably got years above anybody here in this room when he's writing the book of Deuteronomy. He's still leading the nation of Israel, even at that ripe old age. Like Paul, he refused to retire from his kingdom tasks. But he recognizes that his life is coming to an end. And he's getting ready to die. And part of that getting ready for him is making sure that the next generation coming after him would hear the stories of God's power and God's faithfulness and God's love and God's grace. And he challenges everyone in their final years of life to remember and tell their God stories. Really, this whole book of Deuteronomy, it's Moses' farewell speech. It's him telling the stories again for the next generation. And he challenges them with these words, starting at verse nine of chapter four. Just nine and 10 for now. He says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Now in these two verses, He gives two commands to us. They're pretty clear. First of all, he he commands them, he commands us to always remember. Remember what God has done in our lives. Which sounds so simple. We're sitting here saying, yeah, okay, remember. Big deal. It is a big deal. Because it's our natural tendency to forget. Like the people of Israel, we forget how God's power and how God's grace and how his love is at work in our lives in big ways and small ways, of how he's cared for us throughout the years and years and decades and and how he's proved his love for us again and again. It gets swamped and forgotten and lost in the memory bank. And so Moses knows that we need to consciously make an effort and make ways to remember the things that God has done. But he doesn't stop and just say, hey, everybody, remember what God has done. He says, there's another task for you. You first of all need to learn how to remember, and then you need to learn how to tell. Tell your children what you remember. Tell your grandchildren what you remember. Tell your story to the people around you who will listen. He says, that's God's purpose and plan all along. God God gathered the people of Israel together. He spoke to them. He worked mightily for them. He worked miracles in their lives, not just so they would believe, but he says, I did that so that then you would go and teach your children and teach your grandchildren and that they might believe as well. Moses knew that we need the words of the older generation to be spoken. We need to hear the stories of God from their lives because we weren't there. We, the younger generation, didn't see them. We didn't experience them. We don't know about them. But turn over one more time, just a few more pages, to Deuteronomy 11, the main passage I want us to see this morning. I want us to hear Deuteronomy 11, Moses is still on this same idea, the same thought, and he's talking again directly to the parents and the grandparents, to the people in the later stages of their lives. And he says this starting in verse 1 of chapter 11 Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today that your children. We're not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. His majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. The signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt. Both to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to his whole community. What he did to the Egyptian army to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Elab and the Reubenite, when the earth opened up its mouth right in the middle of all of Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. Right? Think about it. The men and women of Moses' generation were eyewitnesses to some pretty amazing things, some pretty awesome works of God. Right? They got to see the plagues ravage Egypt. They got to see the Red Sea part before them walk through on dry out, and turn around and see the waters crash down over the Egyptian army, saving them and rescuing them. They got to see the manna fall down from the sky in the desert, the quail blowing in and landing for them to pick up and eat. They got to see how their shoes and their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. They got to see water flow from a rock to provide for them when they were thirsty. Right? They got to see the earth swallow up and, 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 and eat up those who rebelled against God and against Moses. Right? They, they felt the earthquake beneath their feet as they stood around Mount Sinai and they saw the clouds of God's presence and the lightning and they heard the thunder. They saw the presence of God on top of a mountain but their children hadn't and their grandchildren certainly hadn't and if this older generation doesn't remember and if this older generation doesn't then tell then the great work of God will be forgotten then God will be forgotten Their children and their grandchildren need to hear about the power of God that was shown in their parents' and their grandparents' lives because they didn't see it. This senior generation is the only link that remains between the past acts of God and the present generation. The only link. And some of us here, as parents as grandparents, are the only link that remains between the past acts of God in your lives and this present generation who didn't see them. And if we don't remember, and if we don't tell, then the great work of God in our lives will be forgotten, and soon maybe God himself will be forgotten. You know, I was so impressed last Sunday up here on the stage of the young people, the five young people who stood up here and professed their faith. They told their story, the story of God's work in their lives to us, the older generations. Thank you for doing that. And we need to learn from you because God intended it to go the opposite way more often, right, that the older generation would tell the younger. You know, that's how it's worked in my own life. Because I heard my grandfather remember and tell about living through the Great Depression, because I heard that story, I recognize my financial blessing, and I know contentment. Because I heard the disappointment in my grandfather's voice at never being able to go to school beyond eighth grade, I know the value of education, and I'm grateful for it. Because I heard the story of Stacy's grandpa, from the Dutch resistance and his his escaping through World War II, I value the freedom that we have. Because I wasn't there to see those things. I wasn't there to, to experience them. But I heard them. One generation tells the next. And you know what? Because I have heard my grandparents and my parents remember and tell of God's great work in their lives, of his faithfulness to them. In profound and simple ways, I now see God in my life working the same way. That is God's invitation. That is his command to you and to me throughout all our lives, but especially in these final years. Before it's too late, remember and tell. So, tomorrow is is Memorial Day, the day that our nation recognizes how important it is to remember and to tell. It's a day set aside to remember the sacrifices that so many made for our freedoms. That's why the soldiers and the veterans will march in the parades and why the flags fly down Wilson Avenue to help us remember. And it's a day to tell the stories of sacrifices made in Vietnam and in Korea and in Iraq and Afghanistan, to tell the stories of of generations, family generations gone by who, who sacrificed in World War II and World War I. We remember and we tell so that we won't forget and we'll appreciate our freedom. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ... How much more eager should we be to tell the stories of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made and the ultimate victory that is ours that He brought for us? And how much more eager? shouldn't we be to tell our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and anyone else who will listen to us the great things that God has done that you have seen with your own eyes that you have experienced in your own life how much more eager shouldn't we be to remember and to tell